But this morning, we are concluding our sermon series called That's Good News. So it's the end of all good news, as you know it. This is the end, okay? No, it's, it's in this uh, small group sermon uh, study series that we've been doing on our Bible studies also. We've been utilizing Shane Bishop's book, That's Good News. It's to help us better tell people the good news, to evangelize. Now, evangelism is often thought to be one of the most challenging and scariest parts of being a Christian. Because, you know, oftentimes, I don't know about you, I, I uh, envision going door to door, knocking on people and handing out pa- pamphlets about heaven. Uh, I still remember the days of working at Wendy's in high school when people would come through and hand you a pamphlet are you going to heaven? And I would say, cash or credit, and then I would take it and then try and make the transaction happen as quick as possible. But (laughs) that is not, that is not the only way to do evangelism. Evangelism is what we're called to do, though. We're called to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Evangelism doesn't mean, though, we have to go knocking door to door in our neighborhoods. You see, evangelism isn't what you think it is. Simply put, evangelism is sharing the good news in your own unique way. The key is, though, is that you share it with other people and you do it your way. Simply put, that is what evangelism is. And I I intentionally use that adjective, unique, because uh, there's lots of ways to share the good news. And through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we have each been given a unique special set of skills that we are to take out into the world and share with people and here's the hard thing knowing that we are all christians and in this together we have a responsibility when it comes to evangelism we do no matter how many people you tell the good news to there's always going to be one more and that should be our mission our mission should be to go out these doors and tell just one more person each and every day just one just one So this year at Church of Lakes, we're going to make that a running emphasis in everything that we do. That's going to be the theme of 2024. We want to be known as a community of evangelists, but we're not going to go doing it door to door. Unless that's your cup of tea, I ain't going to stop you. But this doesn't have to be so difficult and an odious task of being an evangelist. In fact, telling people the good news is good for others, of course, And it's also good for us. To prove my point, each week during the sermon series, I've been sharing just a small piece of good news that's happened, at least in my news feed. And I want to share with you this morning some good news from this past week. Perhaps you watched last Monday night on Fox. They hosted the 2024 Television Academy Awards, better known as the Emmys. The Emmys. Actually, we have an Emmy winner in our midst, a local Emmy winner through Len's uh, production of the Great Ashtabula Train Disaster. But uh, the Emmy Awards each year, they're one of these four major awards. Do you guys watch the award shows? Is that something you watch? Every once in a while, the the monologues come up through my feeds, and they're kind of funny. That's always good to see what the celebrities are doing now and again. But if you're familiar with the Emmys, maybe you're familiar with the Grammys, the Music Awards. Or the Oscars, which are the movie awards. And then there's my personal favorite, believe it or not, the Tonys, which are Broadway musical awards. That's more of my flavor and cup of tea. But if you're familiar with all of those award shows, then you probably are familiar with the infamous EGOT Award. Do you know what the EGOT Award is? 
EGOT is an acronym. It signifies a person who wins all four of the major awards. An Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, a Tony. EGOT, EGOT. Only 18 people have ever done it. That is until last Monday night when one of my all-time favorite music artists finally made the list. It was Elton John. He joined the ranks of Richard Rodgers, Audrey Hepburn. Believe it or not, Mel Brooks is on the list. He's got to say a prayer for spam a lot. I think that's how he got his Tony. There's Whoopi Goldberg. There is of the Phantom of the Opera fame, Andrew Lloyd Webber. Disney fame, Alan Menken. He's the one that wrote all the lyrics to all my children, uh, my childhood uh, uh, Disney movies. But now, officially on the list is Elton John. Sir Elton John, I should probably say. Uh, he wasn't at the ceremony, which is kind of disappointing for me because he's recovering from knee surgery. But then you remember he spent like 40 years jumping off of pianos and high heels. So you kind of figure that's probably why he had to have knee surgery. But that's some pretty good news, isn't it? Isn't it? We got another EGOT winner. But here's the thing. <laughs> we have no problem sharing that type of good news with our family, our friends, our co-workers, even strangers. We'll tell about this new EGOT award winner. But this is hardly the greatest news we've ever heard. The good news of Jesus Christ is the best news that we ever heard. But why are we so apprehensive to share it? Or maybe we share it, but we don't do it enthusiastically. Or maybe we don't use our own special set of skills to share it. Look, do we enthusiastically spread the good news like we should? I get it. It's hard. And on our scriptures, we discover that regardless of how hard things get or difficult things are, we are called to still do them. And that's to spread the good news in our homes, our schools, and our workplaces. Because the good news is at the top of the list of best news. Because it is life-giving, life-shaping, life-altering. When you hand over your life to Jesus, it's incredible what can happen for you. And as we finish this series today, I need to get up on my soapbox for a moment. Too often, I think... People look at the church from the outside and they think of us as more of a charitable organization. And that's, that's good. That's a good thing. I want to be known as people who do service in the community and do amazing things like RFKC, right? But our number one ministry that we're called to do is to tell people about Jesus. Perhaps that's what we should be known for first. Too often, Christians treat church as a social club an opportunity for fellowship and service. And yes, while those are important things, I don't want you to hear me say that I'm poo-pooing service or getting together and going on a skate night like we did a week ago, but it's all done so that Jesus is at the center of everything we do. And we tell people and connect people to Jesus. The lie of society, they're going to tell you that a church is a place that you go and you do things at. No. That's wrong. It's a place, a church is a place where we are sent out into the world to tell people about Jesus. We just happen to meet on Sunday mornings to kind of get re-energized and rebirthed into this faith that we call and we get washed cleaned ourselves. In fact, here's the best word of truth that I have to offer you probably for the whole entire morning. We are called by God to follow Jesus. 
and we are to bring Jesus to others. We are to be, as Jesus said, fishers of men. Let me share you a scripture passage out of Matthew chapter 4 this morning. As he, Jesus, walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, renamed Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they, that's Peter and Andrew, left their nets and followed him. I like this story. I like the idea of fishing for men. Um, so much so that we named our oldest son Andrew because Andrew in the Gospel of Luke is the one that brings Peter to Jesus. Andrew's the first disciple. But as you read this story in Matthew chapter 4, you see that the cogs of wheels are turning for Peter and Andrew, don't you? You see them thoroughly listen to Jesus, and in this instance, they urgently followed after. There was no hesitation. There was no concern. There was no issue. Now, in comparison, how many times when God gives us the old elbow to the rib cage, when we're to do something for Jesus, how many times do we all of a sudden have hesitations, concerns, issues? <laughs> all right, evangelism. It's time to get out of our comfort zones. It's time to make the rubber meet the road. It's the end of the series, after all. It's time to go out the doors and spread the good news. But I get it. I live in the real world. I do. Every week, I go to a job at, at an engineering firm that it's difficult to see Jesus in everything that I do or in everybody that I have to interact with. I know it's not everyone's comfort level to share the good news. But I want to take a moment to emphasize this is a good thing. It's a good thing to feel uncomfortable for God at times. It's a good thing to feel stretched because the reality is we all feel uncomfortable in evangelism. I can say that as a pastor. I even feel uncomfortable with evangelism. And I promise you, it's going to be okay. You aren't going to instantly die of embarrassment if someone rejects the good news. I promise you, it's not going to happen. <laughs> if you feel overwhelmed or anxious about sharing the good news, guess what? So do I. <laughs> If you ever feel inadequate or inferior, guess what? So do I. <laughs> Look, if you feel like you don't live up to the standard of Christianity and that's why you can't share the good news, man, you're coming from this from the whole wrong angle. You're not alone in feeling inferior to the gospel message and telling people about it. If you feel like you don't live up to it, so that's why you can't, that's not an acceptable excuse. Let me tell you about a story. There is a man who went to a psychiatrist and complained about an inferiority complex that he had. Maybe not about sharing the gospel, but he had that complex. The doctor listened for a while. Then he gave him, of course, you know, as all doctors do, they give him the good news and the bad news diagnosis. He said, good news, you don't have a complex. The bad news is you are inferior. <laughs> That's my dad joke for the week. Uh, I got it in there. I got some laughs this week. So that's good. But in all seriousness, let me tell you why it's okay to feel inferior for God. Why it's okay to be inadequate for God. The reality is, is when you solely rely on yourself to do anything in this world, especially things that should be done with God, you're going to fall short. You're not going to find much success. You see, God has put this hard work of spreading the good news 
to us, the church. And to be quite frankly honest this morning, we have pretty weak hands, the church. <laughs> we don't necessarily live up to the standard. We could never carry all the weight and the burden of spreading the news of Jesus Christ to everyone ourselves. We are reliant on something bigger than us to help carry the load. We are reliant on God. That's how we effectively evangelize. We are reliant on God, and then we go out the doors and spread the good news. The disciples are an amazing example of this, for instance. God took this group of people and through the Holy Spirit empowered them to go out into the world and start spreading the gospel message. The disciples were uneducated. <laughs> they were untrained. We read the story about how it was uh, uh, Peter and Andrew. They were just fishermen. <laughs> And not too dissimilar from the everyday average people like you and I. Jesus invested, though, all this time and this energy into this ragtag group of misfits. Kind of imagine, like in Rudolph, the island of misfit toys. I kind of dream like that's the disciples a little bit. He brings them all together and sends them out. They didn't go to some Billy Graham evangelist school. They didn't go to a Joel Osteen seminar at the airport. No, they were everyday ordinary people who happen to be blessed with the most powerful thing our God offers in this world, the Spirit, a power that is unrivaled in the world that we see. And then they're carrying out this task that could, they could never ultimately finish on their own. Do you see how they were reliant on the Spirit to help make the rubber meet the road? Today, we're going to conclude our series really discussing and examining that we have, yes, an individual responsibility, us. We have a responsibility to share the good news. We also have to realize, though, we don't have to carry this load alone. We are reliant on God, and we are reliant on each other as faithful followers of Jesus Christ alongside each other to help carry the load. We are a team in this together. And in Acts chapter 2, we see that teamwork begin to really make a difference in the world. We see Peter in Acts chapter 2 start to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And in this amazing passage that we're going to read the end of and into the next section, we're going to see Peter convert 3,000 people in one day. Incredible. Just incredible. And this is kind of what happens when you open yourself up to enthusiastically evangelizing. That's the first thing. Then you rely on the Spirit that's the second thing. And then you get involved in a spirit-led group. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 2. I'm going to be starting in verse 41. So those who welcomed his message, this is Peter's message, they were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were saved. 
Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Will you pray with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be found holy and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The past few weeks, just to summarize, we started off talking about what the good news is, why we should share it enthusiastically, and how we are blessed by God's Spirit to share it. Each of these things on their own, they have to do with an individual, personal part of our faith journey. It's everything to do with us individually. But I want to expand the scope this morning and talk about corporate. I want to talk about being a part of a group sharing the good news. A group like a church. So let's look at Peter. Okay, Peter who not through his own power, admittedly so, we see in Acts chapter 1, he has the Holy Spirit come upon him, and through the power of this Spirit, he is an amazing evangelist. (laughs) Once again, he didn't go to some school, seminary school, to teach him how to do this. And you got to be thinking for a minute, well, no, duh. This is a great example. Of course it is, Pastor Robbie. Of course Peter, the one who actually got to walk and talk with Jesus, of course he was a good evangelizer. Of course he was good because he actually saw the heavens open. He was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw the miracles. He saw the resurrection. He saw the ascension. Of course, Peter would be a great pillar of the church. Of course he would be the rock. How am I supposed to compare and live up to that standard that we see in our scriptures? But I think when we look at Peter's story a little deeper, We don't just see coincidence and opportunity because Peter was alive at the same time Jesus was. No, there was more to it. Peter was a successful evangelist because he was blessed by the Spirit working with a Spirit-led group of people. He wasn't some lone ranger out there spreading the gospel message. And that really matters when it comes to the gospel. We aren't to be alone. We are to be doing this Together, and I believe with every ounce of my being that when you become a part of a group of people, whether that's a small group, whether that's a missionary team like RFKC, maybe that's a whole worship service like we could be here at Canal Fulton, or maybe that's a whole entire church like Church of the Lakes, regardless, regardless of the scope or size of the group, when it comes to being a part of a spiritually blessed group, we have an opportunity to do special things and special things for God. In Acts chapter 2, we begin to see those special things play out. But I want to, I want to pause and go through Acts chapter 2 kind of painstakingly, just to point out some of the characteristics of what a spiritual-led group looks like, and why it's so important not to be a lone ranger for Jesus. Okay, I'm going to start in verse 43. All came upon everyone because many Wonders. A spiritually blessed group has wonder. Wonder definitively is called a sense of admiration for the unknown. How many times in the unknown do we begin to get a little nervous and a little uneasy? But as a spiritually blessed group, we don't have to be scared of the unknown because we have God and Jesus and our church on our side. We shouldn't lose sight of that power of God. Oftentimes, I'm reminded of God's power out in nature. Now, 
I realize it's awfully hard to see the goodness of God's nature in January and February in Ohio, but I promise you, when you see the stunning peaks and valleys of his creation, man, you see the wonder that we are called to be in awe of. That's the first sign. The second characteristic, and signs were being done by the apostles. Miracles. That is another sign of a spiritually blessed group. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe miracles could still happen today? So many times, people come up to me or come up to pastors or people in faith and ask, well, why can't I see the same miracles? They expect the water into wine bit at the wedding, okay? But so many times, we think and oversee the everyday miracles of our God because we just sign them off as coincidences. We just sign them off and underappreciate them because we are normalized to them. We think they're underappreciated because they lack that bolt and lightning. Friends, miracles can happen today. Spiritually uh, driven groups have miracles. It's just sometimes how you have to view them in the world around you. It's a second. All who believed were together and had all things in common. I'm going to summarize this by fellowship. Fellowship. No spiritual group led has, uh, or they all have senses of community that are greater than themselves. That's a characteristic. Fellowship events are not solely focused on fun. They're solely focused on making deeper connections between people. Sometimes that happens while you're skating to a Taylor Swift song like last week. That's how, sometimes that's how fellowship occurs, Okay. That's the next one. Then, amazingly, this is my favorite part of this scripture. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Generosity. I pray every single week that churches around the globe would never lose their generosity. If we're expecting a government to do handouts and help people, man, we're going to be in a world of hurt. We need people like us, the church, to branch out and make a difference for people because the difference that we make is the difference for God. We are to show this all-inclusive, never-ending, all-spanning time love. (laughs) There is a love out there that knows no bounds and no divisions, and it's God's love. This is what separates us from, not to pick on them, this is what separates us, the church, from things like the Lions Club or the Rotary Club. Those are great community organizations, but the love of Jesus, a love that knows no end, it is an eternal love that goes and never disappears or diminishes with space and time. It's a love that we're called to take out into the world. And then, because of that love, day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. You know what spirit-led groups also do? They worship. That's how I read that. I worship. I see communion. I see worship. It's in worship that we take time to reconnect, get re-energized, and really point our eyes out into the world instead of down at our own belly buttons. I think it's kind of a gradual fade as the week goes on. As we get further and further away from church, we begin to become a little bit more selfish and looking at ourselves in the mirror a little bit too much. I know on Sunday mornings, I remember that there is a God and I ain't it. And we're going to sing songs of praise and prayer to a God who loves us. 
And then to continue on. Having the good, and having the goodwill of all people. You know what that is? How I take that section of Acts chapter 2? I read good reputation. Now hear me. A spirit-filled group has a good reputation. And it far exceeds any slander that may be out there against us. Look, our church is perfect. <laughs> far from it. I'll be the first to see every wart that there is out there in a church, especially our church. No one ever claims that we're a perfect church. But spirit-led groups do have a good reputation. What is Church of the Lakes known for? Hopefully we're known for ministries like RFKC. You know that thing where we do foster care, a camp for foster care kids for one week where you give up of your vacation? Maybe we're known for building the 600th Habitat House. That's what ran in the paper in the Canton Repository a couple of years ago. Maybe, maybe we're known for the Christmas and Easter services, the, the pageants, the songs, the praise that we have. Maybe we're known for our children's ministries on Wednesday evening. Whatever the reason, those are good reputations. Do we have warts? Sure. Do people talk about the warts? I know it. <laughs> they happen. But the reality is, is our reputation far exceeds all the warts that we have in this life. And to end the scripture reading for this morning, and day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Finally, the last characteristic of a spirit-led group is growth. Now there's a difference between growing from 12 to 3,000 and just adding one at a time. Either is okay, but growth has to be natural. It does. It isn't artificial. It has to be authentic. It's the only way to get people to actually connect to Jesus and to God. You can invite people in through social media. You can put ads in the newspaper. You can send pamphlets out. They're never going to work. Those things never authentically help people connect with God. They let people know you're in the community, but you got to go the extra mile. You actually have to connect and invest in someone and then invite them to church and then help them invest and connect in Jesus Christ. That is the type of relationship that doesn't grow overnight, mind you. It sometimes takes a lifetime of hard work to get people to invest their life in Jesus Christ. But that's the type of growth that we're going for. Not an inauthentic, an authentic type of growth. That's not how our, our God works inauthentically. And I want to end just with one quick story. Let me finish with a story about a life-saving station located off of a dangerous seacoast. Now, this station, for a lack of better terms, was a small primitive building. It was kind of a shack. But there was a crew of weathered volunteers that committed to keeping a watchful eye on the sea in their little neck of the woods. Their mission was simple. When someone got in trouble, they went out to help. They had an incredibly group of gifted, skilled people who were blessed to help save lives because of their sea skills. They'd grown up on the seacoast. They knew how to traverse it via boat, and they would help preserve life in the area. So day and night, this group kept watch over the seacoast. And because of the success of their life-saving station, they had a pretty good reputation. And so much so that people would start to join in. They wanted to join in with this great community organization. They wanted to be affiliated. Regardless of their skill level, they wanted to get involved in the life-saving station. Thus, their network began to grow and grow and expand. The life-saving station grew in resources and manpower. And consequently, many of the new members 
They no longer wanted to utilize this old weathered shack as their building, as a headquarters. Instead, they wanted to welcome in the people who were battered by the weather or the sea. They wanted to give them a place of rest and refuge. So they replaced the emergency cots with beds. They put in far better furniture. They even put up decorations and new technologies to help them. Now, this newly minted building, this life-saving station, it started to grow in popularity because of the building. Members would regularly begin to go there, even when they weren't on duty, because they just loved the love and camaraderie that was growing in this life. People bond together when they spend time together. But as more and more members began to join, it seemed like it became more of a social club. <laughs> they enjoyed the social aspects, so much so that the original mission began to get pushed to the side. The life-saving work began to become secondary. You see, fewer members wanted to actually do the life-saving work. They'd rather outsource it. They began to hiring sailors to go out and do the life-saving missions instead of putting their own life on the lines. That is until one day. A cruise ship off the coast ran in uh, to a little rocky waters and they needed, got stranded out in the water so the life-saving shacks started departing and helping grab people off of the cruise line. And the rendezvous point that they used was their life-saving shack. And as the more and more people got off the boat and into the life-saving shack, the beds got a little dirtier, the carpet got a little wetter, and of course the furniture got a little scuffed. That's what happens when you begin to use things, right? The rendezvous point, after all the chaos ended, the members met back up and they decided that they weren't interested anymore in being a life-saving station. They wanted their newly minted shack to stay newly minted. (laughs) They had forgotten all about the original mission that they set out for. It's a tale as old as time, friends. Do you remember our purpose As a church, we are to be a life-saving missionaries. (laughs) We are to be maybe a shack in the wilderness going out to meet people where they're at. No exceptions. We are to bring people into Jesus Christ. We aren't to fall into the trap of becoming a social club. We are an evangelical society that enthusiastically shares the gospel message. Commit with me this year, 2024, to making that your mission also. Let us pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we know that through your Holy Spirit, we can tap into this power potential to make a difference for you. A difference that we aren't to keep to ourselves. A difference that will make a difference for all mankind. Lord, give us the courage to go out into our schools, our homes, and workplaces to spread that love, to carry forth that life-transforming, altering, saving story of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.